If you have your Bible today or a phone with the Bible app on it, if you wouldn't mind, open up to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. That's where we're going to end up. So by the time that we get there, then you'll kind of be ready to go in John chapter 13. Uh, My heart's desire is really that you would come to maybe for the first time uh, sense just how much God really wants to be your friend, that, that Jesus desires an actual friendship with you. And for those of you that are already a follower of Jesus, you, you would say, I'm in a relationship with him, that, that uh, during the course of this time, if that, that reality that Jesus is your friend is kind of drifted off into something else, that maybe he would just refresh that today. I know that's not rocket science. But uh, that's, that's what I'm praying for for the next uh, 20 minutes for, for you and I together. On Friday, I, uh, I had to run a quick errand. And so I took my daughter Leilani with me. She's five. And my daughter Leilani will go on any errand with me at any point in time. It doesn't matter what we're doing, where we're going. She says, I want to go. And so I said, okay, sounds good. I just needed to run over to our offices to pick something up. If you're not real familiar, our offices are not on the Heights campus. They're across the way over here behind the Caterpillar tractor dealer on the other side of the highway. And uh, there are paved roads that you can take to get to the office. But I own a Jeep. And so there's no reason for you to take paved roads when you can, when you can drive across the big wash that's out here and uh, turn an errand into an off-roading adventure with your five-year-old daughter. So um, unfortunately, what should have taken 15, 20 minutes after torrential rains in the uh, wash out there, uh, it it turned into a three and a half hour uh, ordeal. Uh, This happened. And... uh, Another angle on it here, Um, just frame of reference, the bumper there on my Jeep uh, is is higher than my waist uh, when it's on solid ground. Um, I did not know what I was getting into. Uh, You will not be surprised at my wife's first response when I called her on the phone. Uh, It was something along the lines of, what in the world were you thinking? which has preceded every great adventure that any man has ever had, there has been a lady that has said, what in the world were you thinking? And uh, nothing is always the answer. I had no, no foresight, no thoughts about what I was getting into or consequences. This is just fun uh, to be had. Uh, and then you get stuck. Uh, once I got stuck, then I do what most people do. You try to get yourself unstuck. And so I got out of the Jeep. I left my daughter in there. I said, you hold tight. And, uh, and I, I, I stepped out and, and sunk immediately up to thigh height and then waist height in water and trying to parade around, trying to find some sort of logs or fallen trees that I can jam under my tires to get some sort of traction to get out of there obviously didn't work. So then you go to the next step, which is uh, phone a friend. And so uh, uh, Charlie Kuhn uh, came to 
showed up in his Range Rover uh, that he didn't want to get dirty. And uh, I'm <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> He came down in there, but I mean, even that, it was going to get stuck, and uh, he had some some tie lines and quickly recognized that this isn't going to work either, uh, so we called our friends at Summit Jeep Belds. Uh, Jesse Wassel had put the lift and the tires on my Jeep, and he said, I got a buddy for you. He'll come out. He's got a winch, and he'll winch you out, and so Tim from Summit came out, and Tim is basically Jesus to me now. Uh, he showed up. And uh, between uh, Tim and Charlie, we were able to, uh, we got a little bit of phone video footage that you can uh, see. Um, The idea at this point was drag you across the most precarious, life-threatening place with your five-year-old daughter. And uh, watch that line go taut there. Right about the time that the line went taut, I said, Leilani, get down in the back seat and cover your head. You know, you're just worried that that line's going to come snap right through the windshield. But we made it across. And I love my daughter. We got to the other side and she said, that was the best adventure we've ever had. I said, you remember that. When you're married someday... And your husband does something as stupid as your daddy just said. Remember, this is an adventure. And your husband is not an idiot like your daddy is. Not only did I have Charlie there and uh, Tim from Summit, but our good friends with the sheriff department showed up. And uh, But you got to love Prescott. I came out and the sheriff said, That's the coolest Jeep Cherokee I've ever seen. Where did you get that? And I went, gosh, I love this town. This is fantastic. When, uh, when's the last time you have been truly stuck? You might've had a moment where you were stuck financially. There may have been some relational tension you were going through, even stuck relationally. Uh, You might have had an addiction or something emotionally where you felt stuck and you just knew uh, you couldn't get yourself out. I think what burdens me the most is when we get to that place where you feel spiritually stuck. That without Jesus, we are all stuck. Uh, there's, There's no amount of our own effort that we can pull off to get ourselves unstuck. If you're blessed like I am, you get stuck and you've tried every option to get yourself unstuck. If you're blessed like me, then you go to your friends and okay, maybe they've got something to offer me. And having friends that will walk with you through stuff as Charlie did with me yesterday, huge, huge gift and blessing. But there does come a moment, there comes a a situation, uh, certainly when it comes to spiritual matters or matters of the heart, that it does not matter how many or how good or how close you are with the friends that you have, there are some things that human beings cannot do and that only God can do. And, And I'm so thankful that when I was stuck spiritually, I was, uh, waist deep in the, the river of sin. And I had no hope. I had no way out. The best case scenario is you've got an actual human being friend who knows Jesus. 
and can get you that lifeline. And he can rescue you. And Jesus' desire is to rescue you out of being stuck and dead and lost. But then when he rescues me and you, uh, his heart's desire is not just to pull you uh, out of the muck and the mire and then put you to work. Did you know, or if you did, I want to remind you today that Jesus rescues us to be in a friendship with us. Let that wash over your heart for the first time or all over again. Do you know that you can call Jesus friend? And that if he has rescued you, then he looks on you and calls you his friend. What a precious gift. I've always admired people who um, you can just tell have an actual friendship with Jesus. I'm not talking about ones who believe that Jesus is who he said he was. I'm not just talking about people that are following Jesus. I'm talking about uh, these peculiar people who uh, you can just tell. They have an intimacy with him. They've got a closeness. They have an actual relationship. They understand they can call Jesus friend. And they really know that Jesus looks on them as a friend. There's something a bit different about them. And you you can just tell. In, In the scriptures, there's a disciple named John that I believe had that sort of closeness and intimacy with Jesus. He's referred to as the disciple whom Jesus loved. But I think there was a friendship there. I think there was something very, very special there. And there's a number of clues in scripture uh, that, that lead me that direction. John, after Jesus was crucified, word gets back that the tomb that Jesus was buried in was empty. And John and Peter go in a full-on sprint for it. John gets there first. A little while later, the disciples are all trying to process what in the world is going on. Jesus died. He's raised from the dead. He's made a couple of appearances. But now what are we supposed to do? They go back to what's normal. They go back to fishing. And they're out in a boat fishing And Jesus appears way over on the shoreline and calls out to them, but too far away for most of them to recognize who he is. You know who the first person to recognize the resurrected Jesus is? It's John. A little while later, Jesus and Peter are having actually a really important, kind of difficult conversation. And Peter looks over his shoulder to notice, as usual, that John is following his Jesus real close by. And at the end of the gospel of John that John wrote, John says, I I suppose the whole world couldn't even contain all the volumes of books that could be written about this Jesus. How could John make a comment like that unless he were close Unless he'd seen the things, obviously, that we uh, have here that he's left for us. 
But he experienced a whole bunch of other things with Jesus in that close, intimate relationship with him, that friendship. Now look at John chapter 13. Because there's a moment that honestly is one of my favorite in the scriptures. It's kind of an off-spec moment in the middle of a familiar passage. John chapter 13, what's just taken place is Jesus has, has his disciples together. He has his friends together. And they're sharing a meal. And Jesus has just washed their feet. You, you talk about an act of love and service, an act of humility. He's washed their feet. And then he turns the conversation to some pretty serious matters. And as they've gathered around the dining table, uh, he, he, he says, you know what? The scriptures make it clear that one of you here are going to turn against me. And after he says that, there's kind of a weight that lands in the room. Jesus's heart is heavy and his friends, their ears perk up. Look at John chapter 13, verse 21. Look at this intimate moment between Jesus and John. Verse 21, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple, John, and, and said, ask him which one he means. Then leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Let me paint the picture just a little bit. Uh, culturally, um, when they would gather to dine together, in these sort of intimate situations, they would have a very low slung table and you would actually recline around the table. You'd lay down around the table. So picture all the disciples and Jesus basically laying down. You would lay down on your left elbow and then reach up for food with your right hand. And in a circle, you'd all be laying down around this table, reclining next to each other. And so now, what you begin to picture here are two times in just four or five verses, two times in four or five verses, John wanted to make something clear. What was it? That he was reclining next to Jesus, uh, against Jesus. Two times. I mean, that's kind of an odd sort of reference for it to not mean anything. And yet John says, uh, the disciple of Jesus' love was reclining against Jesus. Peter elbowed him, wanted him to ask Jesus for clarification. John leans up and uh, gets the question and then leans back against Jesus and then says, Lord, who is it? Why would John include something like that unless he just wanted you and I to know that this is the level of closeness and friendship and intimacy that Jesus allows and desires with his friends. Now, Jesus, when he started his ministry, was 30 years old. That was the typical age for a rabbi to begin their formal ministry. 
They would typically then, as you would imagine, they would get followers or disciples of a specific rabbi that were younger than them. So now you start to piece some clues together to try to decipher how old were these disciples. Well, we can almost guarantee that they were under 30 years old. They were younger than Jesus. By most accounts, we can piece it together. Peter seems to be the only one of the disciples that was married. And they would typically get married at 18 years old. They were old enough to have jobs. Uh, They were old enough to leave their home, their work, and go follow a rabbi. That would typically take place uh, between 13 and 15 years old. So the highest likelihood is that the disciples were teenagers, John being the youngest of these teenagers, maybe as young as 13 years old. And so now when you've heard all these stories, when Jesus tells a parable and the disciples are like, I don't get it. When they see something happen and they go, I don't get it. Could you explain that? It's not because they're stupid. It's because they're teenage guys. If you're a teenage guy here, you don't know anything. You look at everything and you go, I don't get it. I'm 44 years old. I still look at everything and I go, I don't get it. But these were teenage kids that Jesus was beginning to invest in. And John's just saying, hey, uh, there was a moment where we were gathered around a dinner table. And I was reclined next to Jesus. Other translations that are a little more accurate say that he had his head rested on the bosom or the chest of Jesus. Now, quite literally, if if John were resting against the chest of Jesus, can you imagine what it would be like to have your ear pressed to the heartbeat of God in the flesh. Man, I would love to have that sort of closeness and intimacy, that sort of friendship. But the, the bosom of, of, of someone uh, also had metaphorical or figurative meaning. Uh, it also had to do with a, uh, a place of honor or often referring to paradise. In the New Testament, there's a story about a very poor man named Lazarus who dies. And then we find that he is in what is referred to as Abraham's bosom. Uh, He's in paradise. He's in this place of honor. It's basically a picture of heaven. And if you do more and more of the study, what you discover is that uh, to be in this position that John was in, reclining next to him or in the bosom or chest of Jesus, was a place of honor. It was a special place that was given to uh, people that were in a close, close friendship. It was almost as if you had the opportunity to become kind of a special personal assistant to your teacher, or to your rabbi. You were a protege who had uh, a very close friendship. In the Old Testament, you had Moses and you had Joshua, the younger one. You had Elijah 
and then Elisha, the younger one. In the New Testament, you have Paul, and then you've got Timothy, the younger one. With Jesus, you've got John. And then they had some close, tight friendship here, a a place of honor and personal assistance that even when Jesus was nailed to the cross, Jesus' mother, Mary, was standing at the foot of the cross. And even in the midst of his pain and torture, Jesus is thinking about how to get some care for his earthly mother, Mary. And he looks on her, and who does he see right there nearby? His close friend, John. His young friend, John. And he says, John, you're going to look after my mother. And you put all these pieces together, and that speaks of this close friendship. It tells me that John had a special attention, catch this, to the the person of Jesus, not just the purposes of Jesus. How about you? Can you say that you have this special attention and relationship to the person of Jesus? You're not just concerned with the purposes of Jesus, just what he's about or what he says, or we know that he's on the move. We know that he's up to things. We know that he calls us to certain things. We know that he says, do this or avoid that or live this way or don't, don't live that way. But what a horrible thing it would be for us to get so preoccupied with the purposes and the plan and the mission of Jesus that we forget Jesus himself. And John didn't seem to make that mistake. He he knew first and foremost that, that he could be a friend of Jesus and that Jesus looked on John as a friend I don't care what other people have been telling you or what you hear when you you think when you're by yourself. There's so much out there just wants to communicate that God doesn't want to be friends with you. There's no way anybody like you could ever be uh, friends with Jesus. But this is why he came. He knew that we are not naturally friends with God. Our sin actually makes us enemies of God, at opposition with him. But rather than leave us far off, here comes a friend in Jesus to take care of that which separates us from him. Jesus comes, he dies on the cross, he rises from the dead, taking the punishment for sin on himself and wiping it clean so that we can get unstuck so that we can find freedom, but also so that once your Jeep gets pulled across the river of sin into the safe arms of Jesus, Jesus says, hey, uh, why don't you let me drive? I would love to spend all the rest of the miles of your life with you riding shotgun and I'll take the driver's seat. He, He wants to be friends with us. Yes, I know that Jesus is God. I know that Jesus is Lord. I know that he is our creator. He is our maker. I know that that he is in charge. 
But he is also our friend. He desires relationship with me and you. John knew that. John knew that Jesus was also God. In Revelation chapter 1, which is penned by whom? John. He, he accounts this, this rather spectacular experience that he has with the uh, divine risen Christ. In Revelation chapter 1, he sees the risen Christ in all his divinity, and it's terrifying. There's fire coming from his eye sockets. His hair is blazing like white wool. The uh, sound of his voice is like rushing waters. There's swords coming out of his... I mean, it is this a very scary sort of overwhelming experience of the divine nature of Christ. And when John sees Jesus, the divine Jesus, he falls to his face as though he were dead. He had no doubts that Jesus was also God. But then John is so good to record what Jesus did the divine Jesus, still as our friend, reaches down and John records that when John's on his face, terrified to death, his friend Jesus reaches out his right hand and puts it on John's shoulder and says, do not be afraid. We have such a friend in Jesus. He is our Lord he has rescued us in a way that no one else could. Not just to get you into heaven. Not just to free you from sin. But that you could be in a friendship with him. And when you get in a real close, intimate relationship, friendship with Jesus, it can't help but change the type of friend you are. John knew it. He records a couple chapters later in John chapter 15. He records something that's quite unique to his gospel. Some words of Jesus here that are a command from him. Uh, they are, are good to receive this morning, just as the words of Jesus, if you just kind of let them wash over you, encourage you about what he sees in you and what he's calling me and you to. And I'm just going to read them to you. If you want to just close your eyes, or that's up to you. But just let the words of Jesus refresh you. John 15, verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love 
each other. And so, Father, we ask that you would just give us that ability. That out of the friendship that we have with you, completely made possible because of Jesus. That the love that's getting poured into us by you would just overflow to the love that we display to other people. And I'm so humbled and blown away that you like me, that you love me. And I know that that friendship with you would bring a depth of satisfaction to my soul that no other person can or no other thing can. Forgive me for the times where I take the friendship with you for granted. I pray for an opportunity for all of us here soon, God, in your timing and in your manner. That as we walk out of friendship with you this week, that you would give us opportunity to press our ear against your heartbeat. Thank you for giving us a place of honor. I pray for those in this room that go, you know what, I don't, I don't think I'm a friend of Jesus, but I would like to be. If that's you here in the room today and you go, you know what, I, I am stuck. And I get that Jesus has made his way toward me today and wants to rescue me from my sin. And he wants to be my friend. If that's you here today, then you just talk to him. There's no magical words or formula to this. He loves an honest heart. And you just say, Jesus, I can't get myself unstuck. People can't help me get unstuck. They can be a blessing, but they can't fix my heart. Only you can do that. So forgive me. And then hand over the keys to Jesus. Let him drive you. He's got a level of friendship for you that is really unfathomable. You talk to him right now if that's you. Many of you Christians in the room where uh, you've been gone through the motions and somewhere along the journey, the friendship with Jesus has just kind of faded off and uh, just ask him, Lord, rekindle this friendship. Give me a desire to talk with you and spend time with you and sense that you're close. So Father, we give you this final couple minutes here and ask that you would use it just to uh, encourage us. Catch a little bit of your heartbeat. In Jesus' name, 